We turn now to the Old Testament reading from Isaiah 53 also, the first five verses of Isaiah 53. Hear the word of the Lord. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and from his wounds we are healed. Let us turn now to the New Testament passage, which will also be the sermon text from Matthew chapter 8. Matthew 8, we'll be reading verses 14 through 17. Hear the word of the Lord. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Since the reading of God's holy word, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord abides forever. Let's pray. O Lord, may the meditations of our hearts The words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. For we live by the word of God, not by the bread alone. So speak to us now, O Lord, through your holy scripture, the word proclaimed. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We are working our way through Matthew. We are next at this short section. This is the third of three sections in in, uh, Matthew 8. This is the last one of a little section that he gives. This is is the way Matthew does things. He gives you these little triads, these little sections of three. So this is the third. Uh, It began, first of all, with this leper approaching Jesus, then the centurion and his servant, uh, and then now Peter's mother-in-law. And it, it's, we know it's a section because it ends with this reference to Isaiah, which we actually quoted in the Old Testament reading, and then Matthew quotes it to, to show us what's going on. So we know that he's organizing it that way. Now, you're, you're going to hear this a lot, so forgive me the repetition, but Matthew is a big story. And if you were to sit down and listen to all of Matthew, you would, you would hear that more plainly, the the unfolding story of Matthew. It's this great, grand connected uh, thing. And you'll start seeing connections between passages more clearly in that light. When we just talk about a few verses week by week, it's sometimes harder to see that. So that's why I point out this third in three sections. 
And then he's about to give us three more sections. Uh, but this, this story, Jesus entering Peter's house and touching his mother-in-law, that means Peter's mother-in-law, not Jesus. Jesus was not married, Peter was. Uh, and touching his mother-in-law and raising her up from this fever. Well, this story actually begins in Genesis. This actually begins right after creation. That's the beginning of the story. And what you're seeing here is actually a development of that story. It's, it's a historical account of something that happens that changes everything. That starts a new phase in world history. And that's what Jesus was doing. He's introducing a new phase in world history. And it begins in Genesis chapter 3 with a curse. The curse is given uh, to the serpent and then to the woman for disobedience to God's law at the very beginning. This is Genesis 3. And now in 3.17, here's the curse falling on Adam. And he said to Adam, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That's what's happening to Peter's mother, mother-in-law. She's experiencing that curse. That's the same curse that you experience when you grow sick and weary and worn out and experience diseases and pains and griefs. It, it all started at that time with the disobedience of Adam. And you are under that curse. So your life is not anything special in that regard. You, you, you're not being singled out by God for some particular pain or disease or trouble. This just falls on all human beings because we are heirs of that curse. But that's not the end of the story. (laughs) That's not the end of the story. Because here, Jesus is demonstrating that he came to reverse that. He came to tackle that curse and to overthrow it, to turn it on its head, and to pull out of that great ocean of people suffering from these things, a people who will experience life everlasting with no more pain and grief and disease. And that's what he's demonstrating here. This is what he's up to. Now, Jesus is in a city called Capernaum. It's in the northern, it's actually a little bit northwest uh, on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is shaped like a pear, if you want to imagine that. So from your vantage point, west would be that way. So it's kind of shaped like a pear. And Capernaum is on the edge of the sea, more toward the west and the north. And some, you know, pretty soon we're going to see things happening relative to that sea. So it's good to know that. Um, and he walks into this house of Peter, and he's told that the mother-in-law is lying sick. I mean, we're not told that here. We're actually told that in 
the parallel accounts in Mark and Luke, the people told him. Because the mother-in-law would have been back in a room, if not, it wouldn't have been public. But this is, this is one of the places where Jesus does something surprising. And I'm going to mention that in a moment. This is actually kind of a surprising development uh, and is significant for us. But the mother-in-law is lying there sick, um, and she has a fever. That's all we're told. Of course, fever is a symptom. It's not, you know, there's not actually a disease called fever. That's that's the effect of a disease or uh, some sort of infection. Um, and one of the kinds of infections that was very common in that day was malaria. Uh, it is interesting to read the ancient sources, and they talk about daily fevers, uh, intermittent, every third day fevers, and then weekly fevers that might come back. That would be more like malaria, you know, things that recur. Uh, but I don't know if you know, there's actually a, a, uh, something today known as uh, intermittent fever syndrome. <laughs> I like it when medical doctors say syndrome. It means, well, we're not quite sure why, but <laughs> here's, here's what's happening. Uh, I love that honesty. But this is, this is the kind of thing that people in the ancient world experienced a lot, in particular with their diet. You know, if, if you're going to eat red meat in the ancient world, you're going to have to kill your animal. <laughs> you kill your animal, it's not around anymore. If it's a cow, no more milk. <laughs> you kill an animal, it's, it's sacrifice. This is why they call it a sacrifice. And so eating red meat was really relatively rare. Of course, on the Sea of Galilee, you eat a lot of fish. But there are certain minerals and uh, iron in particular deficiency that women suffered in particular. Uh, we're going to see that soon with a woman who hemorrhaged. This was fairly common in the ancient world. This was not that unusual with their diet. It caused lots of trouble uh, in uh, there's uh, a lot of there have been a lot of studies in this from ancient historians, um, and if you want to know more about this, I thought he would be absent from our meeting today, but here he is. So I'm going to embarrass him publicly. But you have a a retired professor from Oregon State here who is an expert on ancient medicine. You may not know that, but he is very well known from throughout the, the world as an expert in ancient medicine. So you ask him about all this stuff, okay? Uh, I knew about his work uh, before I moved here because it, it's very important work. Uh, and he can tell you a lot more in particular on that. For me, it's just a hobby. He's, for him, it's professional. Well, I can tell you that they, they did know in the ancient world about certain, like, willow bark and other things that um, are the source of aspirin. So aspirin is, was originally made from some of these things. The problem is some of this stuff can be poisonous. So they did have herbal, herbal remedies in the ancient world for fever that, you know, produce aspirin. But there are side effects that can be just, just as fatal as a fever. So I wanted you to see, by mentioning that, how, you know, you're saying, well, she had a fever, just, you know, take an aspirin or take, take Tylenol or some other 
you know, modern remedy. Well, they didn't have it. You had to have somebody know how to make a remedy from an herb, and even then, you might take this and think, well, I hope it doesn't kill me, uh, because there are possible side effects that are fatal from some of these if they're mixed wrong and too much, you take in too much. And this is why in the ancient world, if you, even where we're looking now, there were people who wore amulets. This is a medallion, often with a little rolled up text in it, so a little pouch you wear around your uh, neck, and it would have this charm in it. It would have this spell where you would uh, protect the person from fever in particular. So there are fever amulets. Now, they're particularly for children. But they talked about, you know, protecting them from all these fevers. Some of them, you know, when you start reading these things, because we found them, you know, they're scattered around the ancient world, but we found a bunch of these things. And you start reading them, some of them are kind of disappointing because it's like magic sounds. Thrax, tax, racks. My, isn't that effective for fever? <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. I mean, this is what it's like. You read this stuff, and it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> thank you. Uh, it was thought to be particularly effective for dealing with fever. I, want, I point this out, brothers and sisters, to show you how helpless people felt. They turned to this sort of thing because fevers can be deadly. Um, and... In the ancient Mediterranean world, malaria was very prominent. Today, they estimate 400,000 people worldwide die from malaria, and a lot more get it. It can be a very serious disease. Think about it in a world where there's no um, nothing you can take that's you know reliable for fever. And also the way that this text is stated, uh, it's it's quite interesting, and I want you to see this in verse 14. Jesus entered Peter's house. He saw his mother-in-law, Peter's, lying sick with fever. The word lying there, lying down, that's not the normal word for lying down. It's also the word used of the servant of the centurion. It's the second time this word is used in our passage, and it's not used a lot of other places with this meaning. Uh, interestingly, Mark uses a different word in the parallel passage. But here, it, I would want to translate this, not lying down, but prostrated, thrown down. It, it, it shows the seriousness of this fever. She has been prostrated with it. She's thrown to the ground with fever. That's what this word connotes to us, is what it that's the feel you get from this. This is a very serious fever, and one that people are frightened for her life. This loved one who is, and then it says she was burning up with fever. You all know what that feels like. She's burning with fever. So we're in a very dire situation, and she's been thrown down with this. Now, here's what happens. Here, here's what happens. Jesus walks in, and in other cases, people have to come to him, right? He goes there, and there's no hesitation. He goes in, he touches her hand, he raises her up. 
No one asks him. There's no ceremony. There's no magic words. There's no prayer. He goes in, and look what it says. He touched her hand. The fever left her. She, she got up, began to serve him. And the word got up, it's going gonna, it's gonna to occur again in, our, in Matthew. He's actually using this term to kind of alert us to something going on. It can mean she was raised. It's the term used for Jesus being raised from the dead. This is where we're going to see this. She arose. She was raised. You see, we are seeing symbolically what Jesus is really up to. He's not a medical doctor. He's not a magician. He's not casting spells on people to heal them of their diseases. He is come to raise people from the dead. This is a sign of that. He's doing something with a significance beyond the immediate effect. That's why it's a sign. And of course, we love the fact that this woman was healed of this fever because it was a dire situation. And Jesus knows that, and he's compassionate toward people, his people, who have dire situations. Make no mistake about that. He has this compassion beyond compare for his people. Demonstrated here. But his passion is ultimately shown in the fact that he came to deal with that Genesis 3 problem and to root it out, to destroy death. He came to destroy death so that you might live forever without any fear of sickness or grief or death again. That's what Jesus is up to. That's what he came to do, and it's symbolized in the language of prostrated, thrown down, and then raised up. And then notice what she does in verse 15. She began to serve him. Doesn't say them. She began to serve him. She knew what happened. She saw the only appropriate response is, is gratitude to serve her Lord here. This is, this is someone who sees that there's implications beyond getting up from a fever. She's got her life back, but she sees that she has new hope now of life beyond this world, and she starts serving him. She says, I'm going I'm to serve him. She is so thankful to him that he's the focus of her attention now. This is a right and appropriate response. That's why you are here today, is to serve him and to be renewed in your dedication to serve him with your lives, like this woman. I actually mentioned that in the passages we read earlier from the, from the law. It actually talks about this. You know, not be slothful in, in the sacrifice of praise, in serving the Lord. Serve the Lord. Well, this is what this woman is doing. That comes from the Old Testament. She knew her Old Testament. She knew you serve the Lord. Well, it's serving Jesus. That's her service to the Lord. She started doing this. That's why I think Matthew records here that she began to serve him. It's gratitude. 
for a full and free salvation. What did she do to earn salvation? She was the object of Jesus' love and healing. Like you. He loved her with a compassion and love inexplicable except that he loved her. She was one of his people. This was one of his sheep. And he came to deliver them. We're going to see that again as our story in Matthew unfolds. He came to seek out the lost sheep of Israel, his own people. And this is one of them. And she had the appropriate response. Do you think she was paying off a debt? <laughs> Notice she doesn't serve him and then he heals her. It's a response. This is the way salvation works. You devote yourself to the Lord. You serve him with all of your zeal, with all of your might. You love him because he first loved you. And this is the appropriate order of things. And you see it demonstrated here. So we're seeing Jesus' compassion, something that's going to come up time and again in Matthew. This is the main theme of Matthew. He's a compassionate Messiah. He came to demonstrate the compassion of God. And then he's all-powerful. So notice this next section that Matthew summarizes in verse 16. That evening they brought to him many who were pressed by demons, and he cast out those spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. So particularly demoniacs, and then those who also were sick, who were brought to him. And notice, there's no sorting out people. He was lavish in his compassion and mercy. To anybody brought to him, he, he helped them. That's the way he is. Uh, my favorite text was coming up to demonstrate that. A man who's paralyzed, being carried by four friends, and he says, it, the text says, and he saw their faith. He saw the faith of the friends, and he, he had compassion because of their faith. You can help one another in faith to assist the faith of people who need your help in the church. So this is, this is, uh, What's happening here? They're bringing these people, and he just heals them. And notice, notice that he healed them with a he, he heals this demoniacs, casts out demons with a word, uh, very very succinct, very abrupt. Uh, again, I don't, I don't know if I should admit this. Is this being recorded? People outside the church going to hear this? Okay, if you're outside the church, just ignore this. Okay, just turn off your. <laughs> David, because I'm in a, it's a true confession, all right? So, in another life, before I arrived on the scene out of the blue for you, I was working in the New Testament. It was my profession. I was a New Testament professor. And I, my specialty, part of it, I had several different areas I specialized in. One of them was ancient history. So, I, I tell people, I don't know. You know, people say, have you heard this preacher, that guy over here, and, you know, modern people. And I say, well, I don't know. I, I know all the first century people, but these modern guys are way up past my life, you know. I, I live in the first century. Because <laughs> I just gravitate to that. Because I, you know, I think I should know it as a New Testament guy. I should know the world of the New Testament. So I've focused on that. 
So I read magic spells from the first century. <laughs> I read all this stuff. This is what you shouldn't hear. Okay, ignore that. If I'm reading magic spells, it's not because I think they're effective. I just have to, I feel like I should know about the first century. I should know how they thought exercising demons should look like. So that when you see Jesus, you're going, oh, what did he just do? He spoke a word and that demon was cast out. Whoa, that's not how it's done. You know, there's a big, there's a big, there's a book from the ancient world and, you know, a tradition where you got to have a magic ring from Solomon and throw it at the demon and, you know, say an incantation. There's a lot of stuff you have to do to get a demon out. And Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't have a magic ring. He doesn't say the incantation. He doesn't do anything special except order the demons to come out. This, who is this guy? That's the question. Who is this guy doing this? To everybody, it's like there's, there's no demon that stops him. Brothers and sisters, that's the effect of this text on you. You should have the same question. If you don't know this guy, you should ask that question. Who is this guy? Because he's more powerful than anybody you've ever met or will meet. He is the most powerful human being ever to live because he's the God-man. He came as our God to free us from things we cannot be freed from. And that's what's, that's what's taking place before our eyes, as it were. Just like the leper... And just like this centurion servant, although he didn't get a chance, he touches this woman and he shows that he's here to heal. And with a word, he heals people. It's instant. It's by his power of word. So here's, what's, here's where we conclude with this. We conclude where Matthew takes us in verse 17. He says, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our diseases and bore our diseases. A big part. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. This term for bear can mean bear a heavy load. He took upon himself the load, the burden, this crushing weight, and he took it. He took the crushing weight of this curse upon himself. Now, did you notice how Matthew brings that in? We may not have seen that, right? We may not have seen that he was taking it upon himself. He speaks this word. He raises people up. That he heals people with the centurion servant. He, just, he tells the guy, okay, your servant's healed from a distance. But we haven't seen the fact that all of this works because those diseases, those afflictions, all those crushing debts from Genesis 3, he takes upon himself. That's why he can do this. He came to bear our sins and afflictions. The curse that has fallen on us, he took upon himself. That's what Matthew just told you from Isaiah. He says, you're seeing that fulfilled. 
this is not new. It's been prophesied by Isaiah. We were told this, and here he is. We, we didn't expect it this way. Such a humble guy. We had no esteem for him. We thought it would be a great king mounted on a charger. We could all rally around, start a big campaign. So it's this guy, this guy that no one had any regard for. A man like you and me, a woman like you and me, well, a man, human being, human being like us. He had no, he didn't glow, except for once. (laughs) We esteemed him not. This is who did it, one of you, one of us. He came and took upon himself our afflictions. Brothers and sisters, this is what's happening it looks like healing, a healing ministry, and he's going to start a new campaign, gather people around, and all the healings can come, you know, all this stuff. He really didn't, he didn't work that very well. He kept, when they started surrounding him and wanting him to become the celebrity healer, he would go away and pray in an isolated place. That's not what he was doing. He came to get at the root of our diseases. The curse begun with Adam. This is the last Adam come to bring in eternal life. And if you're here tonight in the evening service, I'm going to show you that again from a text in Ephesians where that said outright Brothers and sisters, we have a Savior who's compassionate today as well. Because he was raised from the dead to be seated at his Father's right hand. And his compassion fails not. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you are weighed down with trials, you go to him. And he may say to you, this trial is a good thing for you because it drives you to me. And besides, our life is not in this world. But he might say, like he told that leper who said to him, if you're willing, you can cleanse me. He might say to you, oh, I'm willing. I was just waiting for you to ask. You go to your Savior day by day, looking to him for strength day by day, to live this life under this curse-wracked world. And you will find a compassionate ear from someone who's been here with us, who understands, who's seen it firsthand as a human, what it means to live like you and I live. And his compassion fails not. Let us pray. O Lord, our great and compassionate God, we thank you for sending Jesus, the lover of our souls, who treated his people with such kindness and gentleness, who displayed his saving grace, such power, O Lord, he did not unleash it in judgment, but instead in mercy, that we now are the beneficiaries of. Help us to live in light of that, to glorify you all of our lives. Pray in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.